Hey, go getters. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. And on today's episode of We Got Goals, I got to interview a business idol of mine, which was Sarah Rob O'Hagan. She's done a lot of things in health and wellness and sports uh, throughout her career. And one of the things that I've loved so much about her is that she's truly embraced all of the things that have helped her grow along the way. That means the failures, the stumbles, the falls, the crashes. However hard they are to talk about, she's talked about them. And the first time I met Sarah, I sort of followed her around for the day. It was when she was CEO of Flywheel Sports. So I took a class with her, then heard a talk at Chicago Ideas Week in which she talked about failure. Um, After that chat, I got to talk with her behind stage and behind sort of closed doors and hear sort of the raw take on what made her embrace failure and what made her sort of excited to give other people the fuel to talk about their own failures. And today, as we were talking about her goals, we dug in even deeper to what it was about her childhood that made failure so successful for her and what it was that helped her to keep going as she set and achieved big goals. And one of the things that's remarkable about her is that she is so aware of the things that have made her successful um, throughout her career and the people who have helped her along the way, including luck, including the way she was parented, and including the helpful mentors that she's had along the way. And at this point in her career, she's hoping to give that stuff back. Her first step in doing that was her book, Extreme You, Step Up, Stand Out, Kick Ass, Repeat. And now she's helping to bring the lessons from that book to people in real life uh, through sort of a a mentorship tour. But you'll hear from Sarah on today's episode in great detail about what it is that's made her so successful in and through her failures. Here I am with Sarah Rob O'Hagan. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, and I am here with Sarah Rob O'Hagan, who is so many things, but I will let you tell her uh, sort of what her career path is. Sarah, thanks for being here with me. Hi, it's a pleasure. Totally awesome to be here. (laughs) So before we jump into questions about goals, I would love to hear from you sort of what your career has been so far and what you're working on now uh, before we get into the other big goals. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess I should start by saying my career has been very sweaty. <laughs> I feel very lucky. <laughs> um, but no, I, uh, I'm, as you can tell from my accent, I am from New Zealand, even though I'm now an American citizen. So I'm a proud Amerikiwi. And I, uh, I started my career actually in the airline industry, um, which is how I got to move to the United States, but then managed to pivot across to sports and fitness. And I feel really lucky that I have basically worked in businesses that are to do with what athletes put on their bodies, put in their bodies to feel themselves and how they train their bodies. (laughs) So I spent time, um, at Nike, at Gatorade at Equinox Fitness Clubs, um, and most recently I was the CEO of Flywheel Sports, which is the indoor uh, cycling company. So I have really had a blast doing stuff I'm super passionate about because I'm a bit of a fitness junkie myself. And when I met you the first time, I, I met you when you were speaking at Chicago Ideas Week um, mm, here in yeah. my, my town. 
Uh, and it was such a fun talk, one I'm sure you give a version of a, a lot. Um, but you focused on sort of failure and how you mm. embraced it and learned from it. And I remember just sort of like putting a pin in it and thinking to myself, <laughs> She shall be my idol. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> so, so I'm curious um, as we as we sort of get into goals, uh, how has failure played a part in your success? Mm, a huge, huge, huge part. Um, now, I'm very, very passionate about this topic of failure because you know, to take a wee step back, I um, I have done a ton of research now and i have come to learn that every generation since the boomers has become significantly more terrified of failure and more risk averse um mm -hmm. that includes me i'm gen x um but it gets worse and worse i look at the kids i'm raising you know in the instagram generation where everything has to be perfect and you know and it's causing us to be very very scared of failure and mm -hmm. yet people who go on to reach their highest potential across the board will tell you about really epic fails they've had along the way. And those were their sort of biggest learning moments. And so for me, I, um, I was probably most well known, I guess, publicly for leading the turnaround of Gatorade, which is, you know, giant $5 billion business. This is coming out of the recession in 2009 and 10. And I remember that suddenly I was, you know, in the business media a lot because of this incredibly successful turnaround. And it always made me look like everything was amazing. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> I have been a shit show for most of my life. And that's what led me to go, why are we as a, as a media culture, just choosing to put people on pedestals and forgetting to actually show the sort of bumps and bruises along the way? Because I think if you're a young person, you need to know it's okay to fail. So you know, in my case, I was actually fired back to back in my twenties. And I deeply believe that I wouldn't have had the resilience and sort of fortitude to lead a very, very high profile business turnaround in my forties. Had I not had that earlier experience that really just helped me learn and grow and get, you know, a little bit more resilient. So no, I'm very passionate about failure. <laughs> yeah. And now you're teaching people sort of how, to become more successful themselves. Isn't that right? Yeah. So I, um, essentially ended up going down this giant like path of research and, um, meeting and interviewing people. I wrote a book, uh, called extreme you step up, stand out, kick ass, repeat. Um, and it's all about helping people to find their highest potential, um, in themselves. And there is a big section of the methodology that is actually about taking risks, like learning to crash more as we call it. And, um, you know, really getting more out of your own personal development as a result. So on, on a personal side, what's funny is I'm, I'm actually, your book is on my desk. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking at your book as, as we're talking through this. And I know, um, this conversation for me is, is especially coming at a fun time. Oh, um, good. yeah, as, as we, at, on our business side, um, are in the midst of, of fundraising, which as you know, is just that's a string fantastic. Of yeah. But um, I was going to say that's great, but yes, it's like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what is a big goal, Sarah Rob O'Hagan that you have set and accomplished and why was it important to you? 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's, oh gosh, there've been so many, but I, I would start by saying actually my very, very first goal as a young person, you know, growing up in a small island with 50 million sheep and 5 million people (laughs) was I wanted to, my big goal was to move to the United States. And funnily enough, you know, I was a child of the uh, 80s and 90s watching um, Beverly Hills 90210. Like I was obsessed. I was like, I need to move to Los Angeles and like be one of those kids. That looks kind of amazing. And um, yeah, and but I, it was a huge goal. And as much as it was a dream, I guess it was a goal. And it was one of those things that I went out of my way, um, you know, to position myself within the company I was in to, to get a promotion to be able to move here. So yeah, it was, and I think I learned from that experience that you just don't ever give up. And once you learn Mm -hmm. that having goals and really going after them and actually achieving them, it's so unbelievably fulfilling. I think it almost becomes addictive to set more, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so coming to the U S has it lived up to everything you thought it would? Mm. It's an interesting question. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And more. Um, I mean, I think one of the interesting things for me is that I come from, as I mentioned, a very small country. And I think Mm -hmm. that means that we go through life with what I call the underdog advantage. Like when you come from a small place, you're just so unbelievably delighted to get anywhere. (laughs) And yet coming to America has taught me a lot about confidence and putting yourself out there and like unabashedly playing to win. And, you know, we are a nation of, we, we set high, high goals for ourselves and we expect to achieve them. And it's funny, like, I, I think the combination of that sort of humble and hungry, you know, small country attitude with the, like what America really brings you, which is that just belief in yourself and the confidence you can get it done is, is actually quite potent when you put them together. Yeah, I love that. I love that. How how do you think it was for your for your parent for your family um, to sort of raise a kid um, who had such big goals um, and less of a fear of failure? Mm. Well, I'd start by saying that I feel profoundly grateful that I had parents who were not helicopter parents or snowplow parents. (laughs) That's a new term. I read Um, about it this week. Yes, it's it's a big deal actually, Mm -hmm. and. I I feel so lucky that I had parents who they uh they weren't on many of the sidelines of the sports I played. They barely showed up to the concerts when I was playing piano. And they because they expected us to sort of figure it out on our own steam. And I think they wanted us to figure out deeply inside of us what what we cared about, what we wanted to do. And now, don't get me wrong, they also had high expectations, like they mm-hmm. sort of believed that we could could do a lot in the world. And so I think, um, I almost felt I was the youngest of four and I almost felt, I think like I wanted to keep up with the pack. And so I had to set big goals to, <laughs> to, to, to be able to do that. And what I love is that, um, you know, even my dream to come to this country, like I, I didn't have the kind of parents who said, Oh, let us make a phone call for you. We can figure it out. I just mm-hmm. had to figure it out myself. And I think what, you get out of that. It's an unbelievably fulfilling human experience to set your own goals and achieve them under your own steam. And I think when parents 
get in the way and sort of make the calls and et cetera, et cetera, they're actually taking away a very deeply fulfilling piece of human experience. And I don't think that's the best thing. Yeah. And and what's crazy about it is that the customers you were serving in a lot of your career at Equinox at Flywheel, uh, they were setting goals and achieving them in an hour that they had at the gym too. Yep. Um, yep. So it it's sort of channeling this, this sort of like athlete's grittiness, um, yes. if you will. Absolutely. Uh, did you play sports, Sarah? Yeah, I did. It's funny. I, um, because I had a big career in the sports industry, I think people automatically assume you must've been an elite athlete <laughs> and I really wasn't <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like I never even made the A team of anything, but I, um, played a lot of sports and I actually think that's another thing, particularly for women, I, I think is so important because playing sports teaches you, you know, obviously about physicality and physical fitness. I was always a larger girl than the other girls. And I grew up in an era where the media was telling us that tiny, petite, skinny is better. And I think when you realized on the field hockey field that my big thighs were actually helping me power down the field, it's a very empowering feeling, which is very different to judging yourself, you know, because it doesn't look a certain way, your body doesn't look a certain way. So I think sports teach you empowerment. They teach you teamwork, leadership, winning and losing, like so many wonderful lessons that are really important in life. And I now know, because I have been involved in sports for such a long time, that 80% of women in Fortune 500 companies played sports in high school. And so there is very definitely a correlation between playing sports and leadership later in life for women. So I think it is important to do because it really does translate into sort of what you do in the game of life. It it teaches you that competitive spirit and that confidence um, with your work. Mm. Super interesting. Um, How are you, how are you taking, so it, it sounds like your whole life led you to what you're helping people with now. How are you distilling mm. this lifetime of, of learned extreme you to other people? Yeah, I do feel a bit that way. And I do think because I feel quite passionately about, you know, what's the saying to them that a lot of good fortune falls upon a lot is expected, you know, and mm-hmm. I do feel, you know, I definitely feel like I've worked my ass off my whole life to get where I am, but I've also been really lucky. I'm a white woman from yeah. the country, the first country of the world that gave women the vote, you know? So I think I came into the world with a whole level of confidence that many women don't have the privilege of having. So therefore I do feel now that I want to um, do my best to, to sort of give and share some of the lessons and help others find their highest um, potential in themselves because gosh, there's a lot to be unlocked out there. So speaking of a lot to unlock out there, let's, let's get into your goals for the future. You ready? Mm, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So Sarah, <laughs> can you tell me about a big goal that you're going after right now, um, or look to set in the future and why that goal is important to you? Yeah. So right now, a a goal that I'm very, very focused on and it may take the rest of my lifetime and I don't even know if I'll achieve it, but I'm still not going to give up is, (laughs) um, really changing the face of leadership in Mm. our country and in our world at large. And 
So what does that mean in very practical terms is, you know, how do we do a better job as leaders in business to see the sort of more diverse pipeline of folks coming through and help groom and mentor and develop and pull them up through the system so that we actually get to a place where, you know, across the world, we don't have like the majority of leaders all looking like the same white men. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. simple. Um, and I actually, you know, you and I were emailing about this, but it's been a very, very distressing week for my country with the tragedy that happened. But the light in the tunnel has been this exemplary example of female leadership with our prime minister, who is one of the world's greatest leaders at this particular moment in time. And she doesn't look anything like what's going on in the rest of the world. It's such it, it's such a compelling problem to try to solve. And I know that a lot of diverse leaders in the world are also going after it. How do you make mm-hmm. chips at this? Where do you start? Mm. So I think it starts with um, understanding like what are the systemic um, issues that are that are holding us back. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I can start with the, the most simple, simple one of, you know, we all want to, you know, in, increase the proportion of top level people in roles that come from diverse backgrounds, yet for some reason, when the recruiters give you the slate of candidates, there's just not a broad enough selection to pick from. So why are we not finding them? Well, we've got to figure out how to solve for that because we know they're out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's just at every level, it's identifying pipeline. It's then understanding how to sort of shape and mentor a pathway for those people to get into the kinds of jobs where they can really thrive as opposed to expecting them to fit into a system that, you know, may not have been designed by them for them. So I think it's just at every step of the way. And honestly, I have come to learn that these problems won't be solved overnight, but if every one of us can do our own little piece to, you know, impact a handful of people, that's going to make a difference. Yeah. So as a female leader, um, in in business, in lots of businesses, do you feel like there there were moments along the way where a of course there's always luck, but b did you have uh, folks who were advocating for you and helping you sort of push into your roles, or did you have to push your head through a wall? <laughs> um, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I do think it's a bit of both. Like, I yeah. will start by saying that I definitely pushed myself through a lot of doors. And I think one of the biggest things that I teach with Extreme U, particularly to younger, um, you know, people starting their careers, is how to what I call get out of line, like how to find those opportunities where you can actually step up, create value. Don't expect to be paid for it. Don't expect to be promoted for it. Just do it because the the, the rest will come, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I do think it does require a lot of proactivity um, to sort of get up and get out to a different level. But there is no question, you know, for me personally, I've had extraordinary mentors the whole way. And not surprisingly, they've all been men. And I feel mm-hmm. really, really lucky that I had just extraordinary male leaders in my life who were willing to take a bet on me, who were willing to, you know, support me even at the toughest of times, even though the way I might've processed decisions and 
failures would be different to them, they were still there with me, you know? And so I think it is mentorship is really, really important, but I think it needs to be a legitimate working relationship to have real Mm -hmm. value. You know, when people sort of, you know, I'm sure this happens to you too. You get hundreds and hundreds of people saying, Hey, can you mentor me? And it's like, well, if I'm not actually working with you in a close capacity, it's hard for me to actually be able to give a strong perspective. It's tough too, because the the traditional view of a mentor is almost like dating, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this, and it's also, I think a new kind of phenomenon where, where folks come out of college and they're, Sure, they're looking for a job, but they're also looking for and and dating for a mentor. Uh, And I I think that's kind of a new attitude as well. Um, And it sounds like when you're getting when you're getting emails like that, you're seeing a large influx of that. Is it usually college grads or? people further along. Yeah. All you'd be surprised all walks like people have just got fired or people have, Mm. you know, and I think it's funny because you're right. It has become this sort of, Oh, okay. I've just started my career. I need to go swipe right and find a mentor. And I actually think that men really good mentoring relationships Mm -hmm. are much more organic than that. And you have to stop trying to force it and let them come to you. You know, I I think about, you know, my greatest mentors in my career were people that I didn't even realize were going to be like, it might've been a boss or I can remember at Gatorade, um, a woman that I partnered with who was on my team who had a very, very different style to me and just taught me so much without probably even realizing she was doing that. Yeah. And I think what's interesting now is even though you can't help everyone who emails you, you are doing things to sort of help other people stand out and step up. So can you can you talk me through how how you're sort of like processing being a mentor or a guide for folks who are who are looking for more from their career and and for opportunities to push through the door? Yeah, I mean, I that is obviously why I wrote a book, because in mm-hmm. the end, I was like, at least if you put it all in one place, and I tried to make it a very practical book, you know, it's a, it's, I obviously got some incredibly wonderful stories from very generous people that were willing to give me their time that I interviewed. So it's very entertaining, but it's also was designed at the end of each chapter. Okay, here's what you can now go do for you. <laughs> yeah, um, the real practical sort of um, pathway. And I spend a lot of time these days, um, just in terms of in social media, really trying to curate, um, articles, information that I think, um, is helpful for, for those that are trying to solve these issues. Cause you're right. You can't, you just simply cannot take, you know, you, you, we're all only human. And there's, I think what's changed dramatically in the last 10 years in the advent of social media and LinkedIn is you know, for a lot of people, it's just like, oh, I can email anybody. So maybe they'll be my mentor, but it's like, mm, I don't know, you know, actually those great mentoring relationships are probably going to be much closer into you from a proximity standpoint than you may realize. Yeah. Uh, and they might also be people who you learn what not to do from. A hundred percent. Oh my God. Yes. I think that is such a profoundly important point. Like, Cause I actually think about, you know, some of my 
personal lessons have been modeling my own behavior off the leaders that I worked for that I just adored and the ones that just made me bonkers that I did never want to be anything like. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk about a behavior that you, you've just struck from your, from your life? Not going to do it. It's an interesting one that I've struck from my life. Hmm. I mean, I can't think of anything. I think I've evolved a lot, probably. Like I think, you know, I definitely used to be, I would imagine my earliest, earliest, earliest direct reports would have called me a real micromanager. And I'm much, much, much more, I hope, <laughs> um, empowering now. Like I'm very much, and again, from, from modeling my own behaviors of people I worked for who really enabled me to thrive that made me go, oh, okay, well, how do I do that for others, you know? Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, how how I first met you and how you gave a talk mm. about getting getting fired um, <laughs> and how I, I think what's, what's interesting, and it's, it's sort of circling back to what we were talking about initially, the face of leadership, men are sort of given an opportunity to fail up. And I yes. think um, what you what you are doing and what you have done is you've, you've owned failure and you've mm. owned being fired. Um, mm. And because you've, you've sort of owned it and you've talked about it, you've talked about what you've learned. You're almost giving women and yourself along with them, the opportunity to fail up too. Mm -hmm. yeah. is what I have distilled from yeah. that. Um, yeah. Is that your own personal experience? Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I think that, this is a wild generalization, but I have heard this from a lot of actually podcast interviewers and the like saying it's so rare for leaders to be so open about the screw ups. Like they, mm -hmm. you know, just find with interviewing people that they just want to gloss over that stuff. And, and yeah, I actually have found talking about it is unbelievably empowering because when you, like when I first got fired and I was 26, I think, you know, my first reaction was a very human reaction to try and blame it on others. You know, the company was going bankrupt or whatever. It wasn't my fault. But when you actually do own, take ownership for whatever your role in it was and you talk openly about it, it's a, it's a weirdly empowering feeling. Like even in a job interview, you know, people, mm -hmm. if they're saying to you, why do you have this gap in your resume? If you try and dodge the true answer, you're constantly sitting on pins and needles waiting for them to find out the truth. Whereas if you just say, here's what happened. It was a really not fun experience, but boy, this is what I've learned from it that I won't do again. Instantly you have taken control of the conversation and it's, it's empowering. So I think, for me, this this whole experience like just became one. The more, more the more I talked about it, the more stronger I felt actually, because it was just like I don't have any ugly elephant sitting on the desk in front of me. <laughs> yeah, and and you own it in all walks of life too. I've looked at your LinkedIn, mm. um, and the lang the language you use is one hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and two, super honest. Um, also. Yeah. Uh, sort of revolving around what you've learned. Um, mm. Mm. So Sarah, I know most recently when I reached out to you, it's after I saw you sort of announce that you were parting ways with Flywheel. 
Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about sort of how your life has evolved from that point and what you've learned from there? on? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I was, um, the CEO of flywheel sports for a couple of years and it was honestly one of the most invigorating, amazing experiences of my life in terms of the team that I got to work with every day and the great stuff we were working on. Um, and it was a very, very, very tough decision to leave um but unfortunately you know for me I came to realize that my sort of vision for what I believed that the business could be or was going to be or when I had first taken the job for a number of reasons just wasn't going to play out that way and I had to sort of take that into my own hands and make the decision courageous decision really to to move on so it was it was really hard, but at the same time, kind of like, you know, a firing, I guess it, it's also very freeing, like to, I think when you find yourself in a situation that isn't meeting your, your greatest expectations or goals, like I, I fully believe that you have to stick with it, you know, it through, you know, what would I call it through the, you know, I don't, I don't advocate just jumping off at the first sign of things not going right, but you also have to know when like the road has reached a fork and there's really not a good potential for you in terms of staying in the same place. And that had happened for me. And so I had to make the tough call and own that call and move on. And now I feel, um, you know, still very, very sad about the team that I left behind because I just loved working with them so much. But um, it's also propelling me forward into opportunities that I just didn't even know existed um, around the stuff I'm really passionate about, like Extreme U. So it, it could seem that sometimes you have these jobs that look incredible on paper, like being the CEO of Flywheel looks incredible on paper. Uh, but by staying there, you were almost leaving other opportunities on the table. Um, yeah. And so by leaving, you sort of freed yourself up to go pursue those things. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think this happens to a lot of people. Like I, if I had a dollar for every conversation I've had with friends, you know, mentees around, gosh, I'm really unhappy in my job. I don't feel like I'm progressing. My boss is holding me back, whatever it may be. Um, but it's really, really hard to leave. And for so many reasons, and that's personal to so many people, but whether it's like, you know, financial worries or, you know, what if I can't get another job, all of those things are very, very real. Um, but I would say, and I've had this experience twice actually of sort of taking my own um, career changes into my own hands. It's just remarkable how much opportunity is outside when you open your mind up to see it. And I think when you're stuck in a really not good job or not good situation, your head is down and you're in the weeds and you're not looking at the horizon and you're sort of dealing with so much day-to-day stress that it's just hard to even imagine what else is out there. Yet when you do take that step right off, gosh, it's a, an unbelievably sort of liberating feeling because you can just open your mind, be very honest with anyone around you of what you want to do, what you're looking for, what you want to engage in. You know? 
um, and and sort of be unencumbered in that. So it's a pretty special experience if you can do it. Yeah, I love that. And to circle back to sort of your your big goal for the future, helping to sort of change the face of leadership. When you think about what what you can do and what other people can actionably do today to help change the the face of leadership, what's what's one thing um, that we all could try to do more of to to make and help others succeed along with us? Yeah, I'd start by saying when you make a decision to leave the office and go out and get lunch today, go and pick a complete stranger in the office that you don't normally spend time with. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like, I think we, you know, diversity comes in so many forms. It's not just, you know, the way we look or our mm-hmm. gender or anything like that. It's our backgrounds, how we think, like how we're wired. And, you know, I think it is human nature that you tend to stick with the same group every day and go, have the same conversations yet if you push yourself just to go to the other end of the floor and find someone different and just go get to know them it's amazing how that will open your mind to challenges that other people have different ways of thinking just opening your mind to uh areas that can can be different i love that and is there anything else as we sort of wrap up this interview that you want people to know about you that you want people to sort of look for when they inevitably Google you. (laughs) Um, Gosh, is there anything else? No, not really. I think, I mean, it's funny. It's like at this point, I do think that I have become the patron saint of failure, which I kind of (laughs) love. I think I was telling Phil the other day, I think when I die, it'll say on my gravestone, she failed. (laughs) And I kind of love it. Um, But yeah, no, I think the main thing is just, I, I really, you know, deeply believe in helping people to just be comfortable in their flaws because the flaws are the most wonderful parts of a human, you know? And Mm -hmm. so if I can do my little bit and letting people not like let their worries of other people's perceptions of them, hold them back, then that would be awesome. I love that so much. Thank you for joining me, Sarah Rob O'Hagan, on the We Got Goals podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Girl, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review while you're there, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Sarah Rob O'Hagan, to Ryan Deffitt for editing, and of course, an extra special thanks to you, our listeners.